Blog Talk Radio. Hello out there. Uh, unlike last week, I have to make sure that I get my podcast right. Uh, where I didn't get the podcast right, I called it the Rising Apple Report at some point. But this isn't the Rising Apple Report, uh, which is a show I was just doing about 15 minutes ago with Rich Chivarago and uh, talking some Mets baseball. But right now, we are doing the Bedford and Sullivan podcast, and that is uh, with Mr. Alan Newmark, and he is here to not only talk plenty of Dodgers, uh, as, as we always do on this podcast, but he is here to talk specifically about National League broadcasting and Brooklyn broadcasting, of course. So without further ado, I, I bring on Flatbush native and fellow TY Camp alum, Alan Newmark, to give us his best uh, simulated broadcast of the Dodgers in either the 40s or 50s or whatever random game he would like to do if he has a memory Please, Alan Newmark, broadcast for us. Okay. Well, in the, it's the 50s. I'm, I'm, I'm not quite to go back to the 40s. That's too little. But uh, the broadcast would start off with uh, very similar, the uh, same way that uh, Vince Scully would start a broadcast in Los Angeles today by saying, it's a beautiful day. He says it now, it's a beautiful day in Los Angeles. He would say, it's a beautiful day in Brooklyn. And it's Brooklyn Dodger Baseball, brought to you by the F&M Schaefer Brewing Company of Brooklyn, where our hand has never lost its skill. And Lucky Strike, LSMFT, the American Tobacco Company. And uh, from there, we'd get you the, uh, the, um, the lineups. And uh, they had a, always had a backup announced, you know, two announcers. At one time they had three announcers. It was Red, Red Barber and Vin, and Vin Scully did it in the early 50s. And then Scully uh, did it with uh, Connie Desmond, who uh, had the, is the, one of the few broadcasters that actually broadcast for, bo- for, bo- for all three New York teams. He, uh, during the Second World War, I understand, he uh, did Yankee baseball one year and uh, Giant baseball and uh, Dodger baseball. He was a great announcer, had some beautiful voice and a kind of a Midwestern uh, kind of accent. And uh, what happened to him was that, uh, <clears throat> unfortunately, he liked the booze too much. Mm. And uh, he'd miss a lot of the broadcasts, which, I mean, of course, I wasn't aware of that. And in 1955, uh, he was finally fired by uh, Walter O'Malley. As a matter of fact, it ended very sadly for him. I believe he died in 1983. Uh, Someone once told a story on the air that uh, a a reporter found him laying drunk in front of uh, the hotel in Chicago where uh, some of the teams stayed. So it it was really sad. He ended his career by... uh, by announcing for the uh, Toledo Mud Hens in the International League, whatever uh, league they were. Whatever organization that was. Yeah, and it was kind of, because he had such a nice voice. Mm-hmm. And he was really, and, I, and he lived out on Long Island. I knew that because I remember he lived in a very funny named community, uh, Flower Hill, which is really part of Manhasset. And uh, I always liked him because uh, there was, you know, Red Barber had that southern accent, and he was very slow and the drawl, you know, Jaggy Robinson, the steel mm-hmm. second base, you know. He he never mixed with the players because he thought it was not the right thing to do. And uh, 
I don't agree with him. He didn't like the, the call that Russ Hodges, who was the Giants announcer, made them one of the, the baseball's most famous call. The Giants win the pennant, which he repeated 13 times. Well, we got, and, and I wanted to definitely bring that up. That, that is that is an amazing call. He didn't like that call, huh? No, Bob thought it was uh, ridiculous. Now, now, what were you listening? Were you listening to it at the time? What, what, what was your? Uh, we might have talked about this on the other podcast, but it's okay. We're going to bring it up again. Uh, tell us about your 1951 uh, Bobby Thompson experience. It was. Uh, uh, I watched it on television, and I think the announcer was Ernie Harwell. Ernie became very famous. Uh, uh, he went. He went from the Giants to. Uh, Baltimore and on to Detroit. As a matter of fact, there's a statue of him in front of uh, the uh, Detroit uh, sta- uh, Stadium, or whatever they call it. They changed the mm-hmm. name a hundred times. Uh, America. He, he died a couple of uh, years ago, but he was a he was a terrific announcer, and uh, he I listened to him on television. I was watching TV. I was a kid, and uh, Baba was doing it on. Uh, the Dodger broadcast, and Russ Hodges was doing it on Giant Radio. And apparently, a Dodger fan, now picture this is 1951, not everybody had a tape recorder. A Dodger fan actually taped him uh, uh, doing that 13 times, and then he re-recorded it in a famous restaurant. So that uh, the the recording most of the time you hear is not the real, it's really the re-recording of it. Right. Which, Which is pretty pretty remarkable. Yeah. That, that, that the thing that we've listened to so many times is literally not even a duplicate. It's 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 a re-recording. It's it's somebody who was stationed next to their radio and said, "I should capture this." And, and ironically, he was the only one capturing it. Unlike the people who, I mean, they used to throw this stuff out. They used to just. That's right. I mean, like so, somebody's somebody's broadcast we don't even have. I mean, you, you find them, you find some like, like Vin Scully and, and, and Red Barber doing a Dodger broadcast. I think there's a Dodger Giant game from 1950 on YouTube, and I'm sure there's some legal oh, sure issues with more. that is, like, throughout YouTube, but, but you know, th- these things were just t- tossed away. Johnny Padre is on the Today Show the next morning where he didn't even sleep. Is, who knows if we can track that down? That's right. Uh, you could you could get some some of these broadcasts, but not all of them. Actually, uh, the Bobby Thompson home run I think was on four different networks. It was the first time I think NBC carried it, uh, and Mutual Broadcasting, and of course the giant uh, local station in New York, which is WMCA at that time, uh, 570 on the dial, and the Dodgers I believe they were on WHN. Or WMGM, maybe I don't think it was MGM yet. I, it could have been 1050. So they're all gone. Those radio stations, but uh, mm-hmm. but uh, that's how it was in those days. And it was uh, well, and it was like two sponsors. Did you notice when I, when I did that uh, beginning? It mm-hmm. was uh, the Dodgers were sponsored by uh, Schaefer Beer, which was a local brewery, and uh, the American Tobacco Company on behalf of Lucky Strike. When when I was really young, and I barely remember this, they used to be sponsored by Old Gold cigarettes. And if a Dodger hit a home run, they'd throw a carton down the screen behind home plate, and 
I guess the ball boy would catch it and give it to the player. It shows you how things have changed. <laughs> well, speaking of which, speaking of, of National League, uh, you know, New York legacy, um, I, I think the Dodgers had something to do with WOR at some point. But uh, you said that some of these, ra- a lot of these radio stations are gone. A lot of these uh, these things, these en- you know, entities are gone. Uh, the Mets, however, are back with WOR on the radio. And we've been talking a lot about uh, Nash, uh, New York National League legacy over the past few weeks. In fact, Alan, and I don't think I've been able to tell you this, but both the, the past three episodes, uh, the first one I literally did uh, a few episodes ago, I walked around AT&T Park talking to a bunch of old-timers about the, the, giant, the New York and San Francisco Giants. And that was a lot of fun. And then uh, the week after, I talked to Greg Prince of Faith and Fear and Flushing, who's a big Mets fan, but also a New York Giants connoisseur. I walked around Hell's Kitchen. And then uh, last week, I talked about Brooklyn Legacy, walking around Upper Manhattan, ironically, uh, walking towards the polo ground. And so this is the first time that I've actually been inside in the last few weeks. And, uh, but there's been a lot of legacy talk. And so going, you know, circling all the way back around, WOR, what are some of your memories of WOR and the Brooklyn Cutters? I'll tell you, WOR was the TV, the TV station. But originally, you know, the Dodgers originally broadcast on WCBS Channel 2 because they didn't have a lot of programs scheduled in those days. And the, the, the night games, I don't remember the day games, the night games went on at 8.30, that's when they started. And the Dodgers were like a satin uniform that kind of shined at night. And uh, the WOR came later. WOR uh, Channel 9, I think, came out in about 1950. The Yankees were on uh, Channel 5, which was WABD, named for Alan B. Dumont, one of the founders of uh, television. And he was a manufacturer of televisions. And uh, I remember that vividly, that when they moved to WOR, they got more games. They started televising more games. They televised all the home games and a couple of road games. And I used to be fascinated by seeing the out-of-town ballparks. Uh, you know what I'm saying? When, and when Red Baba did a broadcast, it was new. Television was new. As a matter of fact, he did the first broadcast ever in 1939, using one camera, and he sat behind home plate at Ebbets Field. I don't know if you knew that. but anyway, I did. I did. He, did. he also did a very interesting thing. He would, uh, and I was a kid playing baseball, he would, instead of showing you the pitcher pitching and the batter hitting, he would uh, tell the cameraman to just concentrate on the batter's feet and see the way he lines up his feet. And when the ball came in, how they step into the ball. I mean, I, I learned a lot. I tried to hit like that. Unfortunately, I didn't have the talent. But, uh, you know, Barber was different. I mean, it was, uh, it, it was new. It was, it was, you know, you didn't have to do, you didn't have to actually do play-by-play. Baseball is really a great radio sport, probably the best radio sport there is, better than any, I mean, maybe basketball can come close, but that's it. Because well, I think I think everything everything moves a lot quicker, and so there's not as much downtime. Right. Uh, the the way you're able to have a conversation just and just relax with baseball, even though there's a lot of of, of mental 
tenacity that goes with uh, observing the game. No, that's true. For instance, a hockey announcer has to keep uh, doing radio, just has to keep talking because the action keeps going. There's no stoppage, except they do a commercial now every five minutes or something. I think there's three or four commercials. That's it. Uh, in the Olympics, there was none, no commercials. I think they just stopped to fix the ice. Well, I think there's so many sponsors that they, that, that that's taken care of in the Olympics. Yeah, that's 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 right. But in uh, it's it's a the most difficult sport they say to broadcast is baseball because you got to keep talking. And what do you <laughs> what do you what do you what, what do you keep talking about? I mean, you got to say the same same thing over and over. Yeah, but the best ones don't. <laughs> Uh, say say the same things over and over again. I mean, uh, that that's what makes the Howie Roses and the Red Barbers and, and the Vince Sullys. That's what makes them so uh, uh, unique and also and and also relatable. It is the way they're just able to have not only a conversation with with themselves, but have a conversation with Josh Lewin, who, by the way, I believe is doing a fantastic job being the second hand man to Howie Roses uh, Mets Radio. They almost dropped him, W.O.R. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know how the contract works. Apparently, the uh, the Mets have a say, or the home, you know, but they they can't control it. In other words, uh, right. if W.O.R. wanted to get, I don't know who they would have brought in. I think he's very good, uh, Josh Lewin. Um, well, for a while better. there, right, you were about to say much better than Wayne Hagen. Right. Exactly. Uh, although Hagen wasn't terrible, but he wasn't no. right. No. Well, you know, I think his, for me, his big issue was the fact that he didn't feel like a Mets broadcaster. Josh right. Lewin grew up a Mets fan, and, and that element to it alone adds a lot more qualities to his broadcast on top of the fact that he's very talented. No, you're right. You're exactly right. In 19... Uh, you wanted to talk about the Mets broadcasting. Of course, from 1962 to 1979, they had three broadcasters. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Lindsey Nelson, Bob Murphy, and, of course, uh, the great Ralph Kiner, who I think should have gotten, gotten into the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster as well as a ball player. But now, now, how does that work, though? I mean, I understand that it's two separate kind of... of uh, um uh, committees or, or whatnot, but um, could he separately get voted in? Like, could Tim McCarver, who's now a Hall of Fame broadcaster, could he get separately voted in? Although I don't think he would. I just uh, no, an example, not, uh, right? He, uh, by the veterans. I, I, yeah, I guess you can. I mean, it's a separate. It's a, really a newspaper thing, a media thing, and uh, you know. Uh, I think he deserved it. I mean, to spend so much time with one team, and his stories were terrific. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, great stories. Uh, we've we've talked, yeah, we've talked about Ralph on the, on this broadcast. Yeah. In fact, I had the uh, the Dodgers team historian, uh, who's from Pasadena, Mr. Mark Langell. I had him on the week that Ralph died. So of course that we 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 had to talk about Ralph. And also, I didn't realize that Ralph was from a neighboring. You know, this person was from Pasadena, and I didn't realize that Ralph was from a neighboring town, the name of which escapes me right now. But he's from California, and he's from a neighboring town to Pasadena, so that was fortuitous. But um, it, it, it is a sad pattern. Did, did you 
did they tell the story about when he dated uh, Liz Taylor? No, they, we, we the, I think the, the most, um, we, we told a lot of Ralph's stories, but, but the thing that really got me was what I ended with, which was Ralph aligned from that, that kind of, uh, you, know, re, you know, united both the Mets and the Dodgers together. Ralph said that all the Mets wins, at Do, uh, the, all the Mets wins against the Dodgers this year have come at Dodgers. Oh, I'm sorry, all the Mets wins on the road against the Dodgers this year have come at Dodger Stadium. That was the Ralph line that, yeah, that tied it all together. He used to say, he used to say, and coming up next is the Mets catcher, Gary Cooper. He always, right. called, <laughs> he always called Carter Gary Cooper, which was funny. And he knew it. I mean, but he, you know, but he was good. He told great stories. I mean, <laughs> almost like Yogi. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Who? Who? Uh, I don't. I, I think it's uh, a lot. Of, I've heard some Dodger fans. I don't know if. Um, I, I think I've heard one person in particular on a, a Dodger documentary being interviewed say that you know he hated all the Yankees except Yogi because he felt like he could be a Dodger. Oh, that's funny because. I guess I dislike all the Yankees also, except for Yogi. But Yogi was a Met right. ten years. And by the way, I didn't see one mention when Carmen died. About yeah, that, that was that was odd. He spent his last uh, time at bat as a Met. He was a Met. I don't understand that. He managed the Mets. Uh, do, do you know what Jerry Kuzman once said about him? They asked what, what? compare, compare Kuzman. Kuzman, they asked Kuzman to compare uh, Hodges and Berra. And he said, well, the difference is in the third inning, Hodges was thinking about what he was going to do in the sixth inning. And Berra in the sixth inning was thinking about what he did in the third inning. Oh. So it wasn't exactly a compliment. Yeah, that but, didn't but sound like a compliment when it comes was, to managing. But he was very well liked, you know, and the, right. the guys really liked him. But and Hodges was really a terrific manager, and he belongs in the Hall of Fame. But we won't get into that. I don't want to get into that because that's yeah. aggravating. They put a guy like Mazeroski in, and they don't put Gil Hodges in. They're well, well, I, I understand that you don't want to get into it, but but just this year we've also had Gil Hodges Jr. on the podcast. So did you? Uh, yeah. So so we've talked. We 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 you know I haven't talked to you too much, Alan, since the last podcast. Oh, uh, but but you know we've talked a lot. We talked a lot about Gil Hodges and. And, um, you know, we all, uh, I, I, it's a fa- it, it doesn't make any sense that even the Veterans Committee hasn't voted in it. Doesn't, uh, and, and he was one of the nicest guys ever. And he, I think it, he won the Navy Cross or something. I, I'm not positive which medal it is. Third highest uh, medal given to a soldier. And uh, he was a Marine. And uh, he never talked about it. But he was a, a terrific, everybody... Uh, you ever hear Tom Seaver talk about him? I mean, mm-hmm. no. Tom Seaver breaks down every time. because uh, he says he was so good, he was so great, you know. Yeah, and, he, and forgetting that the managing when he retired, he led the National League in Grand Slams. So of course, the game has changed, so naturally they passed him by. He was the second leading home run hitter in the National League, or third, but he was the highest right-handed hitter. One home run ahead of uh, Ralph Kiner when he retired. <laughs> I mean, he was, and he could play every position, he, and he did. And it wasn't like a game where, you know, they let the guy play nine positions. 
Right. It wasn't a game. He never pitched. But uh, he did have his heart attack, his first heart attack, when he was pitching. He had a batting practice then in uh, Houston. But, uh, ah, it's no sense. It's, it's, it's a he's sad. Not getting in the Hall of Fame. It's, it's sad that he, he died as early as he did. It probably is. When you look at the Mets history, it's arguably the number one biggest turning point in Mets history was Gil Hodges dying because they, they, arguably, they, arguably, they arguably haven't recovered from that. Well, you know, he also, when he came to the team, he changed the whole philosophy of the team. I mean, they, he was there one year, they ended up seventh or something. And the following year, spring training, they asked him, what do you think uh, is going to happen? How many wins do you think you're going to get? And they never, have, they never had a 500 team. And he, he said uh, at least 85. They, got, they won 100 games. Yep. I mean, and it was him. He, he, he introduced the four-pitcher system. Now they use five, five starters. They used to use three starters, and he changed it to four. I mean, he, was, uh, he knew every rule in the book. I think he got thrown out of one game as a manager and none as a player. Amazing, amazing. Just truly amazing. But, I I really hope it's just it's hard to talk about in, in many ways because I really hope that in uh, come 2015 now uh, we're talking about Gil Hodges you know coming into the Hall of Fame for that summer because and that would be fitting you know being the uh, what 60th anniversary of 1955 and you know from from that perspective uh, of the legacy um, I, I I really hope that that. This, that we we really need to all get together and really push for this next this next veterans committee because I think it's it's really a travesty that the the, the thing that the thing that left them out as a player is the fact that two people thought there were too many Dodgers already in the Hall of Fame that shouldn't even be a factor in the in your thinking. Of course not, uh, ridiculous. Uh, but uh, you know, and and speaking of the anniversary. This would be the 69th year or 59th? 59th year. Um, he knocked in the two winning runs, the, the two runs the Dodgers scored in game seven. He knocked both in. So, I mean, uh, he knocked both runs in. So, I mean. It's, you know, I don't know if I ever knew that fact because everybody always reports it as, as, you know, the Dodgers got two runs. Because <laughs> Johnny Padres, you know. They were, right. And then, and then the last out was made by Pee Wee Reese through to Hodges, first base. Low throw, Hodges got it right before it hit the dirt. He was a great fielder, great fielding first baseman. Came up as a shortstop, actually. Big guy, played shortstop, moved him to third for one game, then he went in the Marines. And when he came out, they make it, made him a catcher, but they signed a guy named Roy Campanella. <laughs> and they decided they got got to do something, and they, so they made him a first baseman. While they had Jackie Robinson down there for one year playing first, uh, Hodges was in the minors learning how to play first, and he became a fantastic fielding first baseman, and they moved him up in, uh, in, in 1948. Duke Snyder started the top of the fourth, striking out. Uh, the second batter up, Roy Campanella, doubled the left field and the, down the deep left field line. Uh, Carl Ferrillo grounded out, and Campanella went to third. And then Gil Hodges singled Campanella in, the left field with two outs, mind you, before Dan, uh, you know, I'm blanking on this. Who, who is D. Hoke? What? 
Don Hoke, third base. Don, Don Hoke. Don Hoke, there you go. Don Hoke grounded out to third base to finish that inning. You know why? Because Jackie Robinson didn't play in the game. He was hurt. <laughs> so the, 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 Dodgers, the Dodgers didn't have Jackie Robinson, and the Yankees didn't have Mickey Mantle. So I, th- I think that's, uh, that says it all, that, that these were just some great teams. Oh, there was, was some teams. Uh, yeah, but by the way, Yogi Berra still insists to this day that uh, Robinson was out at the plate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does. He said Mrs. Robinson came to uh, the funeral or whatever, mm. and she was talking to Yogi. They said she should never bring up the steal of home to Yogi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially at the, the funeral. I mean, because he'll obviously be like, you know, the, the thing is he also has fun with it. And in that moment, you want to have some fun. And I, I can think Yogi probably has, even though he's very sad about, about losing his wife, at the same time, um, you know, he's probably still, he, he looks on the bright side of things. Oh, he's a very funny guy. Uh, uh, I heard a great story. Uh, <laughs> it seems, that, I don't know if it's true, but it, it seems that uh, his wife, Carmen, wanted to know where does he want to be buried. You know, you were born in St. Louis. You want to be buried in St. Louis. You want to be buried in New York, New Jersey. Where do you want? His answer to her surprised me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I hope we have Yogi for a very long time. Yeah, he's going to be 89 on May 12th. And I'm not a Yankee fan. You know that. Mm-hmm. And that's something to know for a, an old Brooklyn Dodger. Uh, you know, I'm I'm sure that Fred called him. Uh, I, I'm sure I'm sure that Mr. Wilpon called him. Uh, you know, I think it's an oversight. If Jeff if Jeff is really in charge, if he's the operating officer, uh, then he he Jeff needs to get his head on straight. And, well, and I don't I don't think I don't think Jeff is a, a bad person. I don't think Jeff is a mean guy, uh, based off of what I've heard about him. But I just think he's rather socially awkward. Yeah, uh, but he's much better than he was when he was in the real estate business. I know his administrative assistant, and she said he he matured a lot, and mm. he's, uh, he's not really. No, I'm sure it was the press. They never even wrote it. Part of his history. Uh, yeah, he's a Yankee. Of course, he's a Yankee, and he will be always a Yankee. Mets don't give out number eight, and uh, it's because of uh, Carter and. And Yogi, and I don't know what they're waiting for to retire number eight. Uh, if they retired number eight, you'd have to put Yogi into that. Yogi's, yeah, you put. I mean, but I like. I think. I think that Yogi was a flawed manager, and 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 I, I can't say anything about his coaching, but uh, I think I think that based off of what I've heard about 1973, that he might have been the turning point. I, I don't know. I, th- I think uh, I, it's, it's hard to say exactly about 1973 because it was clear that a lot of that was was literally the last hurrah of the of of, of what Gil Hodges put together, and people are always talking about George Stone when it comes to Yogi Berra and the 1973. Oh, he made the, yeah, in, in Game Seven when he should have pitched uh, Seaver, and and he pitched Seaver in Game Six. Yeah, he should have given Seaver another day's rest. Oh, Seaver didn't pitch badly at all, but, uh, you know, uh, they were out of game seven right away. Right. I remember that. It was, it was well, that's... Uh, we're getting back to the announcers that we were talking about. Imagine that one announcing crew from 1962 all the way to 1979. Then they changed. They brought in a couple of new guys. Uh, one of them was... Uh, 
Uh, Marv Albert's uh, brother, uh, not Al, the other one. Uh, Fred? Is there Steve. a Fred Albert? Steve. I, I Steve. mean, Steve. <laughs> Steve. No, Steve Albert. Steve Albert. And uh, he lasted about three years. And uh, then they brought. So, in, so, so they, they got rid of Lindsay? Lindsay left. Lindsay, Lindsay left. Uh, what what did Lindsay do? What, what, where did Lindsay go? Well, Lindsay's wife had died, I believe, and he uh, went to San Francisco. He had a daughter that was uh, challenged. Uh, I don't know what her problem was, but uh, he uh, she was so he had her in a home, I think. And so uh, you know. Okay. Uh, so that that was that's unfortunate that it ended that way, but yeah. Um, so they brought in yeah. this guy Brown. Let me just tell you something about Brown. He was terrible. I, I, I wrote a letter. He was too... We don't need that in New York. He was too homey. Now they all are. But back then they weren't, and he was just a home guy. I mean, and whenever they showed him, he had a cigarette in his hand. I mean, I, think about that. <laughs> so so Red Barber was the perfect amount of, of, of um, country, if you will, well, for you a city. For a city. You you want to know where Red Barber came from? He so, came from um. But he lived in Florida, and you know where he lived? Mississippi. Somebody, He's from Mississippi, right? Yeah, I think he was from Mississippi, but he lived in Florida, and you know the town is very in the news almost every day now, and it was a couple of years ago also. Sanford, Florida. And if that doesn't hit, that's where the uh, shootings took place. You stand your ground. Right. And I. Um, Every time I hear it, I think of Red Barber. It's funny, because I know. So, what are your, some of your favorite Red Barber memories? Well, when he, he when the bases were loaded, he he used to say the 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 bases are F O B, full of Brooklyn's. F O B was the uh, I, I forgot what it actually was. It was like a price, you know, frozen prices, whatever they called them, and. But I, I, I forgot what it was actually. But it was FOB, full of Brooklyn's. You know, that's the kind of expression. Well, I'm broadcasting from the catbird seat. <laughs> he was, you know, he had all these southern uh, expressions that we weren't used to hearing. But he was good. But he was uh, very bland-like, you know. Like, uh, and the Giants win the pennant. That's why, I mean, I know I actually didn't hear it, but. That's what he supposedly just said, and the Giants win the pennant, and he is, uh, I think, Connie Desmond for the rapper. I mean, <laughs> and the other guy's going ballistic, you know. Yeah. And I'm a kid, and I'm really upset now. Well, that that's the, I mean, you know, Red Barber's, he wasn't about to have a ballistic. No. You know, that, that, it came from the Giants. I mean, the Giants were almost, and nowadays, when you think about it, and, and, and ironically, the Dodgers are the more uh, the, or the more romanticized team, whereas the Giants still have a lot of fans, you know, who who, who are are still fans from that New York Giant legacy in San Francisco. Yeah, but it's not uh, the Dodgers always had more. Well, not always, but the, the Giants used to have the celebrities. Uh, apparently, I mean, uh, obviously, I don't go back that far. I mean, like the the entertainers like Milton Berle and all those uh, people, they became Dodger fans when the Dodgers moved to uh, L.A. But those comedians and all would always go to Yankees uh, to uh, the Polo Grounds. Uh, for some reason, they didn't go to Yankee Stadium. I don't know why. <laughs> but so they always had a lot of uh, celebrity fans. But they at the end they were really hurting their, their right. attendance, and 
I guess it was the location of the ballpark that was. Well, uh, they say though that Willie Mays helped. I mean, because the, 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 there's there's really a, a pocket of, of Giants fans. I mean, they they brought the trophy back here, and I don't think that the Dodgers, the Dodgers were definitely not bringing their trophy back in 1988, and I don't think the Dodgers would bring a trophy back right now. Whereas, as well, the Giants went out of their way to bring the trophies, these last two trophies, back to New York. Well, they certainly wouldn't uh, wouldn't bring the trophy in '88. They won the, the World Series in '63 and '65. Mm-hmm. The Dodgers. So uh, uh, by '88, it might have been a little forgiven. But they did bring back the uh, the World Series flag. Yes, yes, that is now in the Brooklyn Historical Society. Right, which is in the Brooklyn Public Library, I believe. Uh, no, uh, it's actually in it's uh, separate. You know, it, it, it's interesting because I think in my studies, I found that it used to be, the building used to be an old, um, uh, you know, like gentleman's club, basically. Not not the gentleman's clubs that we know of today uh, in terms of, of nudity, but uh, just in terms of, of, you know, kind of going to a study and being very proper and maybe some classical, uh, probably not even classical music. That's probably just me throwing that in there now. Uh, but, but um, you know, they... they those kinds of clubs, and, and now uh, it, it might say, I think, Long Island Historical Society on the outside of the building. So it might have been something that, that is tied into the, the actual landmass that they're on, but before everything was a city, you know, when Brooklyn was a city on Long Island. Right, right. Uh, I, never, I haven't been there, but uh, I, I knew Marty Adler, who passed away, who uh, was very instrumental in getting the... Uh, the Brooklyn Dodger Museum is called, or whatever it's called. Um, Marty was a um, assistant principal in uh, the Jackie Robinson Junior High, which was built right across the street from the old uh, Ebbets Field, mm-hmm. and uh, it's still there. And uh, but Marty passed away a couple of years ago, and uh, I, you know they fought to get to it. I was laughing about it when I heard because they said. What's the difference if that's the flag? I don't understand, you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't understand what is the significance that that's the flag. You get, you, you make another flag. I mean, they they rip, don't they? Yeah, okay. but it doesn't. I mean, come on. No, I understand, but I don't know. I got a little annoyed when the Dodgers were celebrating, uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers celebrating the 55 World Series. I said, don't belong to them. I don't know <laughs> what they're so excited about. But uh, let them. Who cares? We got the Mets now. You know, it's uh... <laughs> the Mets. The Mets are the Dodgers' legacy. And, and the thing is, is that when you're looking, when you're when you're reviewing Dodgers' legacy, uh, you actually realize that the Dodgers, not what people have romanticized as those last few teams from 1941 to 1957, that the you know the the, the Dodgers are closer to the Mets than people even realize. Oh, absolutely. I was once annoyed. I was going in the city field, and some guy was saying, some kids were saying, uh, oh, look at it, you know, this going through the rotunda. Well, well, they don't understand. Why did he want to build a rotunda? Well, it's the man's money. He's a Dodger fan. He was right. a Dodger fan, uh, Fred Wilpon. He wanted to do that. It's his money. He could build whatever he wants, and it's really very – it doesn't really look like – uh, the inside of uh, what the rotunda looked like, but it's you know it's a close, it's modern, and it's uh, it's nice. 
you got to have a, a link. You know, Jackie Robinson never played for the uh, for the Mets. So what? And the Yankees are not going to build anything for Jackie Robinson. So it had to be the National League team, and they're mm-hmm. the National League team. And they uh, the same reason they don't retire number twenty. They they don't give out number twenty four. The Mets. I don't know if you know that. I yeah. yeah. They, they made a mistake. They gave it out a couple of times. Yeah, forgetting about that. That's the fact that I mean, you know. I think that, that that is one of my favorite parts about the New York Mets is that Willie Mays came to finish his career as a Met. Yeah, because Mrs. Payson owned the team in, at that time, and uh, she was a Whitney, and uh, they had a few dollars, and uh, the Giants didn't have the money because uh, Horace Stoneham was uh, he was Horace Stoneham. He was a drinker, and hmm. they stuck him with that ballpark. Uh, they took him out to show him where they're going to put a ballpark in the morning. Of course, about 12 o'clock, the wind came up, comes up there in the Candlestick Point and gets crazy. By the way, it's now gone. You know, the uh, football team's not going to play there anymore. The new stadiums, and I think San Jose or wherever it is, is ready. Uh, yeah, it's. I think it's. I don't think it's that far down because I was just out there, and so I, I have a, a little bit of a fresh mind about the whole thing. And I passed when I first landed in San Francisco on the the road trip back. Um, I passed Candlestick Park to yeah, to where uh, my mother, and this is a good segue because uh, I wanted to talk a little tranquility. Um, my my mother, who who is uh, has has made me a second generation tranquility camper, uh, is now out in San Francisco. When we, we passed Candlestick Park, she pointed it out. Uh, it certainly looked like it was in an odd place odd for shape. for what was that? It's in an odd corner. Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's in a very odd corner, and, and it certainly looks like what I imagine candlestick part to look like. Uh, but it, I, I still think it's unfortunate that the San Francisco 49ers aren't going to be in San Francisco. But that is made up with a spectacular uh, Giants ballpark right at the. And, and my my mother lives a block away from, literally a block away from the San Francisco ballpark, so I'm looking to go out there in, uh, in, in June when the Mets are out there. Oh, did she uh, move out there permanently? Uh, yeah, for, for a, she's going to be there for about three years um, uh, for work, and, and we'll see if she... I mean, if I were her, I, I'd, I'd probably settle back down there, but I love my New York, so, so, and I know she does too, so I don't, I don't know exactly how that whole thing is going to play out. But uh, speaking of, of, of my mother and speaking of tranquility... I wanted to talk uh, a little bit about Tranquility Camp because I think it certainly ties into the Dodgers and Giants and Mets conversation, be- and sh- sure, the Yankees, uh, because, because of the New York legacy that, that Tranquility is. Uh, uh, for, all of, for all those of you who aren't from Tranquility, because I, I think we might have some Tranquility listeners out there, uh, it's an it's a upstate camp in uh, New York State, um, just two hours, just about two hours up the thruway. Uh, and it's on uh, uh, something that we call Route 81. And, and Alan went there uh, around the time that my mom went there, and, and my, mom, my mother sent me there in 1995. The year, that summer, they sent me away while they all moved from Florida to New York. So I had nothing to do with I wasn't part of the move. I wasn't there for the move because I was at Tranquility Camp for my first summer, and I ended up going nine years. Alan, how many years did you go to Tranquility? No, no, I didn't go to camp. Oh, my God. No, I didn't go to camp. I, <laughs> and we I, talked I, about this the last time. Yeah, yeah, no, no, my four, four, 
four of my children went to camp. Right. So, so it, it, Alan, Alan, and like so many people, Alan is is, is part of the Friends of Tranquility, which the alumni uh, is now. It, it used to be just be called the Tranquility Alumni, but it, it uh, Alan is part of that through yeah, the, 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 the four daughters. He's a treasure. No, four, no, no, four children. Three, right. three daughters. I hate to correct you. Three daughters. I, I'm sorry that I said four daughters because I clearly know Steve. I Newman. have four daughters. The other <laughs> one didn't go. <laughs> right. Three daughters. Oh, wait, so, I'm not okay. religious so, in any so, way. I don't, don't want anybody to get this bad. I'm not religious in any way. Right, right. Tranquil, tranquility is, <laughs> tranquility is, is a, a Jewish camp uh, and, and a very reformed Jewish camp. But, but yeah, and... and, and and, and, and but it, it, anybody can go to this camp. It, it's not uh, other Jewish camps that you know they, they're they're much. I, I wouldn't say much more observant than, than tranquility, but certainly much more uh, kosher. Or or the, tranquility is kosher, but um, they, they're they're much more uh, conservative, if you will. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. And it's, it's not for profit camp. Right, it's a non-for-profit camp. So, so Alan, uh, since you didn't go there, and we, we only have a few minutes left, but, but talk about Tranquility. Tell, tell, tell the listeners about this wonderful place up in Earlton, oh, New York. Uh, I, the friendships that the uh, campers, uh, it's just, it's incredible. My, um, my son was the first one to go, uh, actually, uh, in 1991, I think it was, and uh, he still has the friends that he made there. And my son is an attorney, by the way, uh, working for Mayor De Blasio. Mm. Um, the um, my daughter, uh, one of my oldest, my second daughter, went there at about the same time, and uh, she also has, still has. Fr- they, it's it's a, it's it's not a high price camp. It's a camp that uh, that has the basics, and and, and and the friendships last forever. Uh, there's people that have been friends for over 50 years and more, and uh, they still see each other, and it's it's like oh, it's like wonderful. And a lot of people do think that I went there because I'm the treasurer, right. as I said, of the alumni. But uh, it's so <laughs> it's good to see you again. They 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 remember me when I was a kid, which is impossible. <laughs> So okay. I'm, well, I'm glad. I'm glad that my mistake could could bring that element of it up. So, so no. how did you hear? So how did you hear about tranquility? Well, we had a uh, friend, uh, my wife and I, uh, who uh, I don't know how she found out about it, but uh, her daughter uh, is now on the board, and uh, Brittany Scott, and and uh, she rec- it had to be recommended. Right. Uh, yeah, and uh, she recommended it to us, and uh, it was uh, it was terrific. I, I, it's it, it's a it's unbeatable. I spend most of my time now working on Tranquil. Before you before <laughs> I before I got on the phone with you, I was talking to Harold Weinman, who was the uh, chairman of the board of the alumni. Who, who was also a big uh, Dodger fan, right? He's a big Dodger fan, yes, and a uh, a. Uh, a Mets fan and a uh, a New York Rangers fan, like mm-hmm. I am, 
and uh, we would. He's going to come here tomorrow. He's, I said, I can't work on Sunday. First of all, <laughs> it's my anniversary. It's my anniversary on Monday, so my, my the children are coming with their children, and uh, uh, my wife and I are going to celebrate our 40th anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, it's quite a thing today to celebrate 40 years with the same person. Well, well Alan, she deserves a medal. She deserves she, uh, a medal. Right. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, unfortunately, we only have a minute left, and otherwise, Blog Talk Radio, since I don't pay, is going to cut us off. Uh, okay. But but uh, it was a pleasure having you on on this Saturday afternoon. We have some baseball still going on. The Mets I'm have a 2 lead. I'm watching it with you. I, I, <laughs> the Mets look better. I mean, I, <laughs> it's the first time oh, I've been sore all season. Exactly. And, and real quick, the, the Mets are going to be on uh, split squads. They're going to be out in Vegas against the Cubs where the majority of the, uh, the David Wrights and the Curtis Grandersons, the, the, the bigger players, are going to be out there. So if anybody has MLB.tv, you can watch it on WGN, see some of that Brooklyn Dodgers and New York Giants legacy going on right now with the New York Mets. Alan, thank you so much for being on. Sam, thanks for having me. I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. That's our show, everybody. Have a good one. Take care.